0: Studnika out the near side shoots, he scores.
1: Jack Studnika scores his second of the year and the fifth
0: unanswered goal for the Canucks.
1: I think I was just getting in on the forecheck and uh, the goalie's head was down, and usually that's an indication they're going with a, a hard rim on the forehand. So I think Laser had a really good net drive, so that defenseman kind of went with him. So I saw some ice where I could step out, and um, you know, luckily it went in.
2: 7.03 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Brough Sportsnet 650. Halford and Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari. This music gets me every time. The Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour 2 of the program, we were right in the midst of it. David Amber from Sportsnet is going to join us in just a minute here. Uh, hour 2 is brought to you by Northstar Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. So when we came in this morning, Jason, I I, I was I was actually for the first time in a long time having a hard time coming up with the words and trying to figure out how we were going to cover the game. I mean, for, like because most of the games is pretty easy, right? Like the the score line indicates what you should talk about. Mm-hmm. It goes in a certain direction. This one, it's like. It's a historic comeback in franchise history. They haven't had a four-goal comeback for a win since 1973. Um, the game was kind of drunk at times.
3: Yeah, the game was hilarious. It yeah. was very entertaining.
2: It, with the d- dizzying highs and lows and everything else. Then, and I'm starting to realize this now, is we also have a civic duty to tell people that the Canucks won that game. Because there's, there's a lot of people that have texted in that turned it off. And then kind of slept, walked through the morning, and got to their cars. And now they're realizing that the game they turned off when the Canucks were down four nothing, yeah, they came back and won that.
3: Yeah, this is how it used to be. You, if you, when the Canucks were playing a late game, if you were uh, a kid and your parents made you go to bed early, then you had to wake up in the morning and check the newspaper and see who scored. Like I did not realize that
2: we would have an actual <laughs> public service this morning. So if you're just joining us, David Amber is going to be on the program in a second. The Canucks won that hockey game last night. Yeah. The one they were down 4 nothing after the first period, they came back. Elias Pettersson scored 13 seconds in overtime. They won 7-6. to Colin Delia ended up at net. If you don't know who he is, that's okay. we got plenty of time to explain that later. Joining us now to talk about how crazy last night was, uh, Sportsnet NHL host, Hockey Night in Canada, David Amber, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? That was
4: wild. Shame on anyone who turned off the TV. You, you heard Anson Carter say, after the first period, he said, it's not over. Montreal gives up a lot. Vancouver scores a lot and this season we know no lead is safe that game wasn't drunk that was like a, a crack bins <laughs> from the 1980s like that was <laughs> out of control like that was that was the wildest game I've seen this year and just the twists and turns were unbelievable I wish we had just had an iso camera Bruce Boudreaux oh, man. you know the, the the shades of red and pink and all the different hues that his face was turning after every bad play and then after every good play it was unbelievable guys it if nothing else the vancouver canucks are the best they they're the best reality tv that we've had in the nhl in a long long time for better or for worse i know some of the fans probably don't like that comment but yeah. it's really it's just compelling theater every game
3: it was terrific entertainment and when the canucks made it 4 to 2 i was like okay we could be in for a night here um what was the reaction from the montreal side i was so focused on what the canucks were doing that i i just kind of gave cursory uh thought to what the reaction on the montreal side was now in theory the habs fans should be pretty upset with blowing a four nothing lead but i also know that expectations in montreal are quite different than they are in vancouver this season
4: yeah and i, I think that, that that speaks to it all i mean i think the montreal canadiens they're playing with house money you know they they finished with the the worst record in the nhl last year they you know finished uh the first time or i think since 1940 something that the habs have finished dead last in the nhl no one had really great high hopes for the team this year and to be honest with you they've been a very exciting very competitive they have this great young nucleus with caulfield suzuki and jack I, who a lot of people are now touting as a possible you know rookie of the year candidate which is unbelievable uh you know there's a lot of positives so yeah, it's a disappointing. You have a 4 nothing lead. You're in complete control. Uh, you know, absolutely. But it's completely different, the, the level of expectation. I mean, there'll be some maybe even more sophisticated Habs fans will say, you know, great, we're one point closer to maybe getting Connor Bedard. Like, you know, there's a lot of different ways for them to slice it. It'll be interesting to see how they rebound tonight. Uh, you know, they're back on the ice tonight. And, and, and it is going to be – there will be some eyeballs on their game for the Habs tonight because it's Slavkovsky – Uh, versus Shane Wright so there's a whole nother like layer to this game against Seattle but um, nothing compared to you know had Vancouver had a four nothing lead and ended up losing 7-6 in overtime (laughs) I mean imagine what your show would look like this morning
3: I just wonder if any Habs fans have kind of gone like hey wait a minute maybe we don't need to tank the season maybe we need to Make the playoffs and surprise everyone. Mike and I are both uh, Seattle Seahawks fans, and we entered this season going – all right. Well, I hope they lose a lot of games, except that that first one to Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Win that one, lose the rest, get a good draft pick, and let's turn this franchise around. But now,
4: and then Geno Smith said, "Yeah."
3: Then Geno Smith. Smith. So we're kind of living and dying with every game now, and we were really yeah. happy that they got the win uh, the other day against the Rams because we want the playoffs now. Has has it gotten to that point in Montreal, or are they is it just still too early in the season for fans to
4: really think that you know? Yeah. That's a great question. That's probably a question better posed to Eric Engels who's, you know, on you no know, boots on the ground in Montreal on a day-to-day basis. I don't know. I mean, all I get is sort of the secondhand information and and by all accounts they're pretty pleased. They're excited. They have this great young coach, with Martin Saint-Louis, and I think it's re-energized the franchise, this great young nucleus. Uh, and I think they feel like, okay, we have foundational pieces to build around. You know, get into the playoffs, yeah, of course that's important. It'd be it'd be a good growth opportunity. Uh, for many of the young players, but you know, I think realistically, they look at their lineup and go, "We don't have a Stanley Cup caliber team." And we all know in Montreal, it's not about making the playoffs or winning around; it's about winning a title, right? It's been 30 years since any Canadian team, and of course, it was Montreal that won the last one in '93. So when they're building towards a championship caliber team, I think you know the average, sophisticated Montreal fan, I'd like to think would would think. You know, it might be great to add another good young piece. You're not maybe not going to get Connor Bedard, but it's it's supposed to be a very uh, good and deep draft. When you talk to the Sam Cosentinos of the world, this is going to be an elite draft. So if you end up picking sixth or seventh or eighth, you might still end up with a stud uh, player for the next decade. Uh, That would be another great foundational building piece to add to a good young team. So, you know, as much as making the playoffs is a great pursuit for the Canadians, I think If they fall short of that, I think there is sort of the silver lining of, okay, we're into the draft lottery. Whereas it's viewed differently through the lens, whether it's Vancouver Canucks, Edmonton Oilers, Calgary Flames, it'd be an unmitigated disaster for, for Calgary Edmonton. If they don't make the playoffs this year, right? Like that would be just unheard of based on the expectations going in for those franchises. Or, you know, if you want to look in the East Florida and the New York Rangers are currently outside the playoff picture. Imagine that. I mean, I picked the Rangers to win the Stanley cup and they're, they're not even in a playoff spot right now. So Montreal's in a very different situation. Um, I, I think the fan base is excited about the prospects of, of maybe making a playoff push, but I also think they're realistic about the team's you know championship hopes for this year.
3: If you had to pick one, we're going to put you on the spot here, David. Uh, uh, which Alberta team should be the most worried right now?
4: <sighs>
3: that is a very tough question. There's there's concern. I, yeah,
4: it's sorry, but I, we're doing I, this yeah I mean I might you know I might say Edmonton only because and it's weird to say a team of Connor and Leon should be worried but you know Zach Hyman didn't play last night we don't know when Evander Kane's going to come back and how long that injury you know what what version of Evander Kane when you have a serious injury like he suffered um, the goaltending I mean Stuart Skinner was absolutely sensational last night um, and that kept it a close game you had to make 47 saves but you know, there's just a lot of question marks surrounding Edmonton Oilers. And, um, you know, Calgary, I just, for the life of me, keep waiting for them to be the Calgary team we expected. And, and they made a lot of roster, you know, they made significant roster changes and you kind of feel like the first couple months might be this feeling out phase. So I, I really do think, uh, you know, I, I listen, I have high hopes for both of them. You're making me pick one. So I'm going to say if I had to worry about one of the two, I, I might worry about Edmonton a little bit more than Calgary.
3: Do you think it's fair for someone? Because I, I, I would actually pick Calgary, and let me know if you think this is fair. Calgary, mm. considering the age of some of their top players, mm. uh, you know I'm thinking about Markey, who's really struggling right now, and I'm not saying he's too old for the league, but he is 32, I, th- I think. And uh, Nazem Kadri, who they just signed to a big long-term contract, 32. Jonathan Huberto is almost 30, and his extension hasn't even – kicked in yet, and that is a massive extension. I kind of saw this Calgary team as with the way their best players at the age of their best players, you're kind of like, man, you guys better do something over the next two or three years otherwise, this thing could get ugly.
4: Uh, Well, 100%. They're all in. I mean, they're all in, right? This isn't isn't a building situation. This is uh, we expect to do things now. Uh, You you hit it on the head and, and it's not a young nucleus, right? You look at other up and coming teams around the league and guys are in their prime or entering their prime. You look at the Calgary flames and most of those players are, you know, kind of just on the bubble of their prime. So, uh, and and many of them sort of on the, on the backside, you know, the the back nine of their careers. I, I still really like this team. I like their blue line. When you go across the Canadian teams, right? What's the one big question mark, you know, the Leafs are missing a bunch of their defensemen right now. That's a question mark. Ottawa's blue line, we've been talking about it for ages. Why aren't they going out and getting someone to add to Shabbat and help Sanderson grow as a player? Vancouver, I don't need to tell your your listeners about what's going on with Vancouver's blue line and, and all the question marks there. You know, Calgary has this great, formidable blue line, right? They have these great parts in Anderson and Tanev and Hannafin, etc. And you, you like the collective group. And when Markstrom, you know, he doesn't need to be a Vesna guy. He just needs to be much better he needs to be you know a top 10 goalie and you sort of say they have the foundational pieces to be a a team that's going to be very difficult to beat in a seven game series so I really do like uh this Calgary team I understand what you're saying about the age but I do think the makeup of the team is what I like about it the depth uh the fact that they're built sort of from their goaltender to their blue line out I think is sort of a playoff ready team and, and that's why I have really high aspirations for them
2: You know, I think uh, we were talking the other day, I think we were talking to Drance about this, and he was saying uh, just how uh, impactful that line was last year with Kachuk, Goudreau, and Lindholm, and now two-thirds of it are missing. I think the one thing that we all probably got wrong with Calgary is we didn't realize just how fundamentally their offense was going to be impacted by the changes because we saw the sort of plug-and-play approach, right? Well, they lost one, but Hubert O comes in, and he's a Mm 100-point guy last year. The Flames were sixth in the NHL in goals scored last year. They had almost 300 goals as a team, but a big chunk of that was uh, Goudreau and Kachuk. And you look at them now, and they're just not scoring with the same regularity that they were last year. I mean, I think they're somewhere in the neighborhood of 76 goals, which is in the bottom half of the league. And you look at them, and you're saying, well, I think we all thought they were going to be one thing because they are designed to win now. And, you know, you almost looked at it like, well, Kachuk and Goudreau are gone, but... Kadri and, and Huberto are in, so everything will be okay, all right and okay, but I think the reality of it is there were more changes than we thought, a more fundamental switch to how they approach the game, and quite honestly, through this stage of the season, you could make the argument that Calgary just hasn't figured it out yet.
4: You know what, there's, I, I think that's all very true, uh, but there's two ways, there's two schools of thought here. Remember the Battle of Alberta. How reliant were they on Goudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk? Too, I mean, that too line reliant. To yeah, too reliant. Yeah, like, and they thought that they didn't have other scores, Monte Aponte, Tafoli, et cetera. But it would, they were so incredibly reliant on that line, you know, 340 goal scorers and, you know, all the accolades plus 60 and all this other stuff. And that was great, except when that line was neutralized or didn't have a huge game, what were they offensively? And, and they struggled. So I thought, if anything, you know, Kadri, Hubert, or you have bow- you have a bit more balance, and it hasn't played out. I mean, they don't have a, they don't have any player on pace for more than sixty five points. I think about that. Last year they had two hundred point guys, and now they don't have anyone on pace for sixty five points. It's unbelievable when you think about that. But I do like the balance, and I think the chemistry's been slow. I think it's taken a bit more time. Clearly, Lindholm has. You know, he had that incredible chemistry with his two mm. linemates last year. And he just hasn't found that with whoever he's been partnered with so far this year. I mean, Backlund has been their most consistent forward, arguably. Um, but I, I, having said that, I just feel like come playoff time when, you know, it's, you're not always going to get the matchup, certainly not on the road. You know, you have Kadri, you have Huber, you have, you're have you much stronger, I think, top to bottom, mm. uh, up the middle. We've seen Johnny Goodrow has had his problems in the playoffs throughout his career. Uh, Cadre, we saw, relishes those moments. You know, Huberto, we still want to sort of see him excel come postseason time. But I just feel this team will be a very, very tough out. And listen, twice in the last six years, Calgary has had these incredible regular seasons, and it hasn't meant anything. Yep. Last year, they lost in the second round. The year, you know, with home ice advantage, the year of uh, three years ago, they lose to Colorado in five games in the first round. Maybe this is one of those teams, kind of like Tampa, where. You know, they just got to get into the playoffs, and then they buckle down, and they can be that really hard out, even if they have to start on the road. So, I that I, I like the makeup of this Calgary team. I, I definitely agree with you, though. Markstrom's got to be better, and they've got to find some continuity on their offense. But I really do like the team.
2: We're speaking to Sportsnet's David Amber here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, David, one thing before we go, I want to go uh, outside. Canada, never mind the province of Alberta and what have you. Uh, you mentioned that the New York Rangers were your preseason Stanley Cup pick. It's been a rough start for them. Uh, a large reason for that rough start is the newly minted captain, Jacob Truba, who we talked a lot about on the show yesterday. In wake of the uh, Andreas Athanasiou remarks and the hits and everything else, I know you talked to Chris Pronger, who is like maybe the perfect mm-hmm. guy to talk to about this. <laughs> what it, I, I, I saw a little bit of the interview you did with him. What did Pronger have to say about Truba and what he's doing? Because right now, I think you could say that Truba is the most dangerous hitter in the NHL, the most predatory. I'm not sure how to frame it, but there's that hit on Athanasiou. There's all the rest, and then there's what Pronger had to say about it.
4: Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine Chris is you know, cut from the old school cloth and, yeah. and he doesn't have time for players going to the media and saying, you know, I got hit too hard. And what's, what's with these hits? Like, you know, the, the exact phrasing he had is last time I checked hitting is part of the game. It's a skill game. It's a speed game, but it's also a physical game. And at times it can be a vicious game. I, uh, you know, after I, I it's kind of funny. Like he wasn't expecting a guy to unload on him like that, but mm-hmm. it was, at the end of the day, it was a clean hit. And you know what? More guys have to have their head on a swivel. I mean, remember when Scott Stevens used to play, you would know when he's on the ice. And I bet you now, when Jacob Trouba's on the ice, you know, after a weekend where he had to fight three times and he was just laying out big hit after yeah. big hit, you know, the word is out on him. The word's out on, on Radko Gudis. The word's out on, on Mo Cider. I mean, there are a handful of guys who will step into you. I think we've just got to a point now where, you know, and Chris Pronger's take on it is just if more guys, you know, like there was Jacob Trouba on every team 15 years ago. Yeah, there just was, and now now there's not. Um, but doesn't mean they don't exist, and you just have to respect when they're on the ice. And and you know, Chris Chris Pronger was getting kind of angry about it. He's like, look, if you don't want to if you don't want to get hit like that, then then keep your head up. Quite, yeah. quite, you know, frankly. And, and, and if you get hit like that and you don't like it, then take matters in your ha- own hand. Don't go and talk to the media after the game about how rough it was. So, you know, Chris has an old-school approach, but, you know, I think a lot of NHLers, and I talked to Keith Yandel and talked to Anson Carter and talked to Cassie Campbell-Pascal on our show, and they all agreed. It's like, you know, it's incumbent on you. If you're a forward with your head down going through the neutral zone, expect to be hit. Don't expect to be let off the hook.
2: David, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing it. We appreciate it, as always. Enjoy the rest of the week and all the games. We'll do this again uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday.
4: And cautionary tale for your Canucks fans. Mm -hmm. Do not change the channel. (laughs) No lead is safe, whether it's the Canucks with the lead or the opponent. So last night was a great example. Thanks for having me, guys. Wise
2: words. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. That's David Amber from Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, because we talked about the Truba thing a little bit yesterday, and you actually on the air watched the hit. Live for the first time. Yeah. And your first reaction, rightly so, was a, that's a clean hit. Uh, that's a great hit. <laughs> yeah, right? And so it's. I think the, the, the few takeaways from that are, one, the guys that do that with regularity are now such a rarity that Truba's like the guy now. Truba's mm-hmm. almost the new Gutis, to be honest. And Gutis still exists, but he's the old Gutis now. Um, because, it, you, again, Pronger brought up a good point. Uh, 15 years ago, there was a guy like that. On every team, or, or or most of the teams, at least 15, a heavy hitter.
3: Fifteen years ago, they aren't calling Luke Shen for interference on that hit. Right. Last night, right. It's a good hit. Uh, yeah, it might have been a millisecond too late, mm-hmm. I guess technically, but they never would have called that before. Correct. They would have been like, "Well, what do you expect, Slavkowski? You're yeah. skating behind the net with the puck." You're gonna get hit, even if you, even if you dish it. Like, expect the defenseman there to finish the check because that's that's his area, yeah, right. But see, the the, the great
2: part about it, like when we were going back and forth yesterday, the one part I wanted to kind of emphasize, and I don't think I did it super accurately, was like the whole situation in terms of building up chaos and animosity and angst. Like, it was such a rarity, but we should be uh, looking at that in a vacuum and saying, like, that's great because not only did um, not only did Truba lay a clean hit, right? Without question. Uh, Athanasia went back at him and was essentially saying, hey, you know what? You're getting paid a bunch of money and you're doing nothing other than running around and being a goon. So I thought like collectively it was a cool moment where we got to see some real angst and chaos and anger play out in real time. I'd have no problem with him going to the media and chirping uh, Truba. Does no, he- neither,
3: neither do I. I don't yeah. have, well, I mean, my, my retort would be, you know, he's not doing nothing. He's <laughs> he's, he's making, he's in your head your team, right now, yeah. right? Like he's, yeah. there, there is something to be said for that. Uh, how many times have we discussed on this show, where we, you and I are just a bunch of dinosaurs, old old hockey men that liked it, liked it the way it was 20 years ago, but how many times have we talked about, first of all, our appreciation for Luke Shen and the physicality he brings, but also our desire for the Canucks to have someone like that up front yep. in their lineup. And someone who... Um, makes the other team think like, oh, that guy's on the ice. You, teams don't even think about that stuff anymore. There's, there's not. I, I, I heard some. I can't remember who it was talking about this, who used to play in the league, and they're kind of like, yeah, you used to, you used to know on the other team. Okay, well, when this guy's out on the ice, you got to keep your head up, and the defenseman would know that too because they'd be going back to get the puck, and they'd be like, man, if this guy gets you when he's forechecking, it's gonna hurt. Yeah, the Canucks who do who do they who do they have on their on their team that's like that they're you know we'd had high hopes for certain guys whether it was Vertanen or or Ferlin but the last guy that i can think of you know some people would would say well was it Derek Dorset i'm like oh geez, i Kinda. hope not i guess i guess so but the last guy really was Rafi Torres, who went out there and laid some massive, massive hits. Yeah. Did some of them cross the line? Yeah. But that's what made it effective mm-hmm. because you have that wild card factor of, this guy, I don't think this guy cares, right? You right. know, like he's, he's willing to do that. And s- some people will say this is disgusting that you guys are advocating for a player like this, but it is hockey. And there is a long, long history of dirty players who, hoisting the Stanley Cup because they are willing to do the things that others aren't. Scott well,
1: Stevens may be the greatest NHL hitter of all time, and plenty of his hits were super dirty, but he yes. also had some of the most perfect hits you'll ever
3: see. Yeah. Well, looking back, a lot of those hits were just downright illegal based oh, yeah. on today's rules, but in in those days, the, the hits weren't illegal. I'm thinking about a guy like Claude Lemieux. Claude Lemieux won multiple Stanley Cups. He mm. was a very valuable player. He was also... Maybe the dirtiest player in NHL history.
2: Kudos to his son for trying to carry on the legacy. <laughs> a bit of a donkey. A yeah.
3: bit of a donkey, I'd
2: say. Um, of course. But here's the thing. Um, if you want to even take a step away from, like, whether you're a dinosaur or not, and if you take it as a neutral observer, these things are happening, and you don't need to either condemn or praise them. Uh, you cannot argue across the board that this situation with, like, the Truba thing has made that situation more interesting and more relevant. Like why would why would we ever be talking spending this much time talking about a regular season game between the Rangers and the Blackhawks unless something like this happened? Like these are the moments. And this will go across sports. This isn't just a hockey thing. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot of the time like Sometimes, believe it or not, an 82-game NHL season, there's a lot of games where you're like, there's not a lot of emotion out here. There's not a lot of interest. It's a couple teams kind of trading goals, and then they go their own separate ways and jump back on the plane, and it's another, we we talked about yep. it. Like, there's a lot of games mm-hmm. where there's not a lot of feeling to them, quite honestly, and part of the reason that hockey's had this in the past is because there's that physical brand that at times is going to upset your opponent, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened here.
1: One texter says, give me Tom Wilson any day. I'm one of the most hated players in the league, but every single person would want him on their team. Do you you know how much the Caps miss him right now? There's a
2: reason Tom Wilson got paid the
1: amount of money that he got paid. Everybody would want him on their team. Every Mm -hmm. fan of every team would want Tom Wilson. Yet, of course, you hate him.
3: Uh, Let's continue this discussion on the other side. We do have an open segment. Thomas Drance is going to join us at 8 o'clock, but we do have an open segment on the other side, so send in your text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. It is the smart alter. Alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bruce Street and Ladner or Butes in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff old school hockey show on Sportsnet 650.
2: Time now for Sportsnet 650. Hey Tuesday! Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.
3: What is this jingle? i I, I did anyone out there listening hear a little bit of the A Team song in that? Hmm. A little bit with the with the drums. Actually, can you start it again? Can you start it again? Rewind, Re- rewind, remix, it. and yeah, I hear it. The A Team. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Are I ain't going to no plane. <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> I heard it now. I definitely hear it. Uh, the the unlicensed music has brought us much more gold on the show than I anticipated. I thought the music was going to be, well, one of the d- the downfalls of this show. The collective lack of talent was going to be the other one. But I was yeah. like, they're taking away our music. Mm-hmm. But no, we've actually found more bits courtesy of the unlicensed music. I, I have to do a lot of work.
0: Said. I have to do a lot of searching to find these little gems. Like but... the Faber song yesterday? Yeah.
2: That was great. Anyway. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari Family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling—they recycle, you get paid. Did you notice that I'm uh, I'm wearing the England gear publicly now? I had I had a, I had, a, I had my own little mental crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually I physically waited until Canada was officially eliminated and their games were done right before I donned any England paraphernalia mm-hmm. for the World Cup
3: now is the boy excited about England because I know he took the loss in the Euro final hard I know hard. yeah I know he took Canada's losses at this year's World yeah. Cup hard are you going to set him up for further disappointment because even though England, are into the quarterfinals and have been impressive in three of their four games, and the other one being a nil nil draw. So they haven't lost yet at the World Cup. The road ahead for England is very different at this World Cup compared to the last World Cup, compared to the Euros. You're looking at a team right now mm-hmm. that would have to beat France, yes, and then maybe Portugal or Spain. And then possibly Brazil. I think the shootout loss. I think the shootout loss to Italy actually
2: did fundamentally alter his sports fandom, at least when it comes to England. Because was
3: that was that his life is real son moment.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah where everything doesn't go like you think it's going to go. Like, oh, we're going to win, right, Dad? Can you change this result? <laughs> yeah, you get, and then you get really close to winning, and then you lose, and that's an interesting feeling. Uh, So he actually, he did kind of say he was worried about the Senegal match. And I was like, really? Like, that's the one that I think they're going to have probably the easiest time in, all due respect to Senegal. And then he's like, well, and then France with Mbappe is on the horizon. So he's very cognizant of the challenge at hand. And this is a unique bit for the English, because as we pointed out on the show yesterday, all due respect to the semifinal run at the 2018 World Cup and the finals run at the 2020 European Championship they were
3: fairly generous draws for England. They Very generous. generous. They got yeah, They yeah. got. It. I don't totally. want to say
2: it was an easy road, but it was an easier
3: road. Mm-hmm. They had this... an advantage when they actually lost their final group game to Belgium. Correct.
2: Uh, well, I guess this is a soccer report. We weren't going to do one, but we're doing one. Uh, it was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Quick update from the Qatar World Cup. I don't know why I called it the Qatar World Cup. It's the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, Morocco and Spain... Nil-nil through 36 minutes, so it's very early. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of chances at either end. The Spanish had one in around the 20th minute, but it was eventually flagged for offside. And I think Morocco just uh, recorded maybe its first or second shot on target, so it's a very cagey start to Morocco and Spain. Also, Morocco wearing red, Spain wearing blue, somewhat jarring. Well, Morocco wearing red and green. They look like Portugal. Right. But I mean, those are their colors. Let's make no mistake. But you think of uh, like Spain and Spain wearing the baby blue kits. Anyway, uh, it looks like
3: Man City versus Portugal out there. You know what? It does. It's a very astute observation. Uh, We got a text in. It's a shame England and France have to meet so early in the tournament. Both have probably been the best teams so far. I don't know, man. Did you watch Brazil yesterday? (laughs) Brazil. Brazil was clinical, and I realize it was Korea, but if we're going to give uh, bows to England or you know, flowers to England for uh, beating Iran and, and, and Wales and Senegal, then I think we have to admire what Brazil did yesterday against Korea because Brazil's, that game was over after about, I don't know, 10 minutes.
2: Brazil scored four times in the opening 36 minutes, so thoroughly dominant that they were able to just let their foot off the gas and play out the remainder. They could have put it on the South Koreans to the tune of six or seven nil. Maybe even eight. That's how thoroughly dominant that opening performance was. It's like they fired a warning shot, but not I don't want to say this the wrong way. They didn't shoot their entire load. They 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 fired a warning shot, though, make no mistake to the rest of the tournament. Because some people, after the group stage, where Brazil in the, in the last two games of the group, weren't all that impressive. Yeah, There were some people that were saying, I wonder what's up with Brazil. And then Brazil was like, here's what's up. Welcome to the rest of the tournament.
3: Uh, we had a bunch of texts in about the discussion we were having about hitting in the league and whether we miss the old days when there were a lot of big hits, even dangerous ones, and the, the rivalries, the blood feuds that we used to see in the NHL. Yep. Uh, Ryan on the road... Tex in, I think the players as a whole were a lot slower back when that type of hitting was legal. We also have the advancement in health science that tells us how deadly concussions are. Can't have it both ways. You can't tell me you'd like to see more Trubas and gudas out there injuring the stars of the league. Sean from Calgary, give me more hits <laughs> like Shen on Slavkovsky. And bickering between players like Truba and Athanasiu. Cassian versus Kachuk was the start of the process that led to Talbot versus Smith and making the Alberta battle of Alberta fun again. Mm-hmm. Physicality and violence is part of what makes hockey different and special. You know, I, 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 I like I agree with, with both those sentiments. I don't think you can take the physicality and the violence, and dare I say it, the danger. Out of hockey, sure. it is something that we enjoy watching, and it is something that we enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, even and I get, and I'm going to use the beer league analogy once again. Like there is a, a level of enjoyment that you get from being on a team at whatever level of hockey you play, and going out there and kind of not liking the other team, right? Mm-hmm. That there, there is a that's a, it's is it silly? Is it dumb? Yeah, but there's something in us as human beings that like that camaraderie aspect. Maybe it's not the healthiest thing, but I think if if the NHL... Li- listen, the, the NHL has a lot of good things going for it. Goal scoring is way up. The talent is way up. The things that the, the, the players are, are, are doing with the puck is mm-hmm. incredible, but that can't be it. There has to be rivalry. There has to be that element of, whoa, this game is really on the edge here. Yeah. And uh, I- you know, I, if, you, if, you, if, hey. if you want to disagree with that, that's fine. But for me, that's what I need from hockey. And if you ask me the question, do I miss some of the blood feuds in the NHL? I miss them dearly. Like, I think part of the, I mean, and the, the, there's a
2: multitude of issues with the Vancouver Canucks this year. I think one of them is that Luke Shen is almost exclusively responsible for being the physical presence on this team, both with his fists. And with the hits. So, like, that hit on Slavkowski last night, one, it's not a penalty. It's not. It's it's a clean hit. It's a big hit. Um, You know, there is – and when you're talking about the speeds that players are traveling, and quite honestly, the lack of awareness that some of the players have. Like, when you talk about concussions being a byproduct of whiplash and the head snapping back – there is some credence to that you need to keep your head on a swivel because when you've either got your head down or you're not cognizant of your surroundings, that's where you get the hit where the whiplash effect happens. You don't see it coming. That hit last night, outside of the penalty, it kind of played out how we see it play out a lot. There was a big hit. Uh, Jacai quickly responded, right? He wanted a piece mm-hmm. of Shen for it, and away we go. If you go back a couple nights, Shen was also the guy in the Florida game that had the fairly big hit on Eric Stall. I feel like, and someone texted this in earlier, and I do think it's an interesting wrinkle to all of this is that the game is definitely changing in front of our eyes this year. I think that there's a decided, decided uptick in scoring, obviously, but also the way that score effects are happening. I don't remember a time, maybe you got to go back to the 80s, where. Uh, multi-goal leads get evaporated like they do. The game
3: I, has just opened up so much.
2: And you talk about the way that goals are scored, I don't, and I, I'm sure that there's probably some evidence that I quite frankly don't have at my disposal, but it feels like the scoring in waves or the cascade of goals or the rapid-fire nature in which you're finding the back of the net is kind of unlike anything that we've seen in recent memory. I can't remember where I've seen teams score three, four, five goals in a... Five, six, seven-minute span, right? And, and, and now the question is, how does everyone else adjust? Because the goalies are having a hell of a tough time this year. Isn't that right, Laddie? The goalies are having a tough time this uh, year. No comment. And, <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> I just put up uh, uh, some stats on, on Twitter, and it came from the great website hockeyreference.com, okay. and they chart league average save percentage. Okay. So in 2015-16, the league average save percentage was 915 That's pretty high. And that's why we kind of got that in our head. Like, okay, 915 is neither really good nor really bad. But 915, if you're there, you're playing all right. Well,
0: 920 was like really good. That was like, you want to be Yeah, Yeah, I remember those days. The new 915
3: (laughs) is 900. The new 915 is 904. okay. Now, we are not back to the John Garrett years. In 1982- League average save percentage was 873. And that was the years of Gretzky putting up, you know, 200 points. Three butter. Scoring 92 90. goals. Right. That was the time. Where it looked
1: like goalies just stood there kind yeah, of. Yeah, you know like, what, 'cause Because they kind of okay. did.
3: They yeah. kind of did. Cool. They were just like. Waving at the puck. At the yeah, ball. they were like. Whoa, that one's on the other side of the net. I can't reach that one. The the, the <laughs> all the goalies were 5 foot 8. Yeah, the hockey Fire in go- the puck so hard, please. The yeah. hockey goals looked like uh soccer goals half the time. Uh, and and one of Gretzky's moves, it was hilarious. So one of Gretzky's moves would just be to get the goalie going the other way and then he'd slide the puck back. Like so many of Gretzky's goals Just slid along the ice. Goalie
0: standing with their feet on
3: the ice. And then it's like he tried to reach his toe out to stop that puck, but his little leg couldn't get to the puck. Like Mm -hmm. that's the way it was. And now you you think back to those times and like you're kind of wondering why didn't anyone have the bright idea to put a bigger person? What in if, the or, or put your leg down? Yeah. You know? or put your it's leg horizontal. down. Horizontal. <laughs> that's, that's a good way what to do if?
0: it. Ritsky's goal scoring
1: superpower
2: was this: what if I move slightly to the right yeah.
0: while
1: the
2: goalie's moving left? Wait a second. But that, that's it's a good thing to bring up because at a certain point here, people started saying, what if, what if we didn't take the, the shortest guy on the team and put him in net, and instead we took the tallest guy. Out here and put him in net, and it revolutionized the position to a certain degree. Now it's like you—I mean, getting a goalie sub six feet is unheard of, well, right? Can I,
0: can I break into why I think the save percentage has dipped so much in recent years? We can, so, Greg. I, I, there's a few theories, and, and there's another thing on that chart that you posted, Jason, on your on your Twitter account. Uh, if you look at the power play percentage and penalty killing numbers, those have changed quite a bit as well in that yeah. time span. So I think. A lot of the goals we're seeing have come on the power play. Yep. And it's puck movement. And it's the, what we've heard for decades is you need to get the goalie yeah, moving. Yeah. And now we fully cross understand. Team passes. Cross team yeah. passes. And yeah. also the other big one recently, especially on the power play, low to high plays. Yeah. Like, plays that get the goalie in transition from on the post to coming out. Look to at the top all the goals
3: the Bo Horvat has scored from that play. Yeah. yeah. Just go low to high. He's in the slot. The goalie's like, where is the puck now?
0: So the next yeah. step now is how our goalies gonna get ahead of these type of plays. It's up to us to figure it out. Also, they are probably,
3: probably going to whine about the we need bigger. Recalls.
0: Yeah, yeah. bigger pads, bigger, bigger pads, bigger, bigger shoulder pads for sure. <laughs> uh, but no,
2: but it's so I, I'm glad you brought that up because now it's it's not just about the goalies, though. It's going to be uh coaches racking their brains. How do we defend this? Right, because that's it's a, it's a action reaction league. It always has been. And, it, you know, you'll, you see it in the playoffs all the time is when a team wins a Stanley Cup. And then there's a quote-unquote blueprint to how they play. Well, and then there's 18 copycats yeah. afterwards, right? And then 17 of the copycats are like, ah, they did it better than us. Now we're screwed. We didn't why win has the no
1: cup. team ever drafted, like, a really, really fat guy? And like a him in sumo net. wrestler. Sumo wrestler. wrestler. They did yeah. that on And the, I'm uh, sort of semi-serious. Yeah. Like, has, why has this never, ever been tried? They tried it in—what was that Did show? they try it in the Miners? Miners?
0: No, Sports Science did it. Yeah. Oh, and it was... they had a sumo wrestler, and they had George Paros shoot on him. Right. And he scored— Every time, oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, every yeah. single shot. So they like debunked yeah. it. It's not going
2: to yeah. work. You, you can't big, really move big,
3: super fast. How big was the, big. How big was the sumo wrestler? I need. Oh, maybe, he maybe took up the, almost money. the entire. But match. he
2: was wearing a. Was he wearing a sumo suit or was it an actual sumo wrestler? He had
3: like road hockey
0: kind of gear on. Like, right. He had like an actual chest protector. Because
2: the, the the ultimate. What if you
0: trained him up a little bit? Well, yeah. that's
1: the thing. I I refuse to believe this can't be worked out. Like Somebody
0: has to try. I don't know if you've seen a few of the goalies in the NHL. Some of them are pretty big. Robin Laner's a big guy. He can move. But the concept would Good. Be is
2: that to get an actual sumo wrestler because sumo wrestlers are incredibly athletic, yeah, right? Like, that, like they and but they also understand because putting a guy in a sumo suit doesn't work, no, it has to be a really big guy who's comfortable in his body. Like, yes. I know well, this that was I'm... an
0: actual sumo wrestler on right, sports, that's life. what I'm saying, and he so, couldn't really now the next, react.
2: right? The neck, well, because probably cause he's never played hockey before, <laughs> right? Like, that might have something to so do with it, so you just got to train him. I yeah I feel like you're the concept. Well, again, I love it and it's adorable. I'm like, not the NHL sure. team has
1: to adopt one at birth and he comes, <laughs> becomes becomes the ad- property of the NHL team. Do you know do you what do you and adopt they train a, s- him? <laughs>
2: you know, sumo wrestlers don't come out of the womb with a little <laughs> gi on and they're like ah, let's go wrestling, right? Like
3: they don't do that. Did, can so you cool. imagine Brian Burke's reaction to a? this entire conversation going with, <laughs> with a sumo wrestler in goal. I think that would be incredible and that's why we need to make it happen. Yes.
0: Anytime anyone brings up the sumo wrestler thing it just shows that they don't, people don't realize how much movement is actually involved. We need to get Ricky on there's, the show and
3: just
1: ask him Brian i to run some There is
0: here. so much movement Yeah there's
1: that's the thing. That you don't see.
0: It's all confined to one little area but you can't be massively overweight and can how, just how can't do it.
3: how tired are you after uh, a beer league game I'm exhausted yeah. it's it, I know it's only
0: half of what an NHL game is but mm-hmm. you you're just getting peppered with shots most of the time cause I it's actually, beer
3: league and yeah I'm, I'm just dripping with sweat most of the time who do you think the, burns more calories uh an actual skater that's playing 20 minutes a night or or a busy goalie let's say a 40 shot goalie
0: it's tough. I I've seen the numbers on the the type of dehydration goalies get and the type of
3: mm-hmm. hydration you need to to stay alive
0: while you're out there and it's right. a lot more for goalies. Alive. But but I but alive. I well yeah, you, they cramp up a lot. You,
3: well, seriously. But like,
0: I, it's a different know. type of of Activity, I feel like with players, mm. you're you're going full force for you know 45 seconds and then you're off. Right, and it's it's kind of similar for goalies, but it also depends the really. skater too, right? Like Phil Kessel's yeah. 20 minutes are a lot different than right. someone else's. Are, are you ripping minutes? it up yeah. the ice and back, or are you playing D? Are you staying at home? He's
2: played 20 minutes. He has yeah. yet to sweat. That's it. So
0: no, but he hasn't he, gone into one corner yet.
2: As much as I'm, I'm glad that we managed to discuss putting a sumo wrestler in that. Also, it's important the, the idea that you can identify a sumo wrestler at birth yeah, was a was a great one. That's yeah, so
1: there's a science behind. It.
3: <laughs> Norm Norm from Richmond. What about shooter tutors? Nobody can score on those things. I like the old shooter tutors that had the hole right where you would shoot it right into the pads of a goalie. Like what do what are we what are we teaching the kids? What are we right tutoring now? here? Yeah, what are we tutoring? They've, they've they've come leaps and bounds with with new shooter tutors. Um Do we have any other texts that you want to read? Well, no, I want the Dunbar Lumber Lumber Text line. I did
2: want to put a bow on this conversation, despite how off tracks it went, is that um, what we're seeing right now with regards to action reaction, you know, something happens and then there's the, the, the market correction, for lack of a better term. I'm going to be curious to see what happens as we go along this season because we are. We're still in the relative infancy of the season, right? We're still in the first quarter of it. Usually these things mellow out, especially by the time you get post-trade deadline and closer to the playoffs as things really tighten up. But um, it's hard to look at what's going on right now and not suggest that there is a fundamental difference in the way the game is being played. Mm -hmm. That's my my interpretation of it right now.
3: Here's a question that I've got. And if you're Bruce Boudreaux and you know that you've got Spencer Martin... Who hasn't played as well this season as he did last season, despite his win-loss record? Mm -hmm. And you've got Colin Delia, who's probably an AHL goalie. He's good enough to step into the NHL and play. You've got those guys in goal. Yeah. Is your reaction, is your is your strategy to go, hey guys, we gotta tighten up because we've got these guys in goal, or is your strategy go. Boys, we <laughs> got to outscore our problems here, right? Ride. Like yeah. Let's lean into our strengths as a team as opposed to shutting down our weaknesses or minimizing our weaknesses, which could come, in theory, at the expense of offense. Now, I do believe that the better you play defense, the more um, – mm-hmm. th- th- there can be advantages to offense, first of all, because you'll get the puck back and you'll have better chances at, at scoring, but yeah. – there is definitely an element of hey, are we going to fly the zone a few times? Are we gonna Are we gonna open up the game? Are we going to try and open up the game? Are yeah. we Are we going to try and play some back and forth Sweet. hockey with the other team and try and get them suck them into playing a wide open game because, because really got that, that suits em- us? You really
2: got to embrace that J T. Miller ethos of how to approach the game. like raises right. right. we- the
1: wild side. He's like, "Let's go, boys! Let's just do this." We need yeah. more
3: behind the back. Can you imagine passes. you show up to Canucks? Canucks practice and everyone is practicing the spin around yeah. backhand yeah. pass.
1: Garland's doing it in front of everyone and they're just <laughs> yeah. mimicking him.
2: Everyone's all, super yeah, all 30 guys. Tell seen. you what guys, L- drop the buckets. We're having a real cash practice today and everyone's just kind of flying around doing Luke it really Shen
3: long. is like, I hate this team.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I gotta do even more hitting now.
1: No, playing fear and loathing on the big screen. He's like, you see these, these lizard guys? You see this? This is what I want. Just it's an always absolute an absolute in- insanity.
3: It's always an interesting discussion to have, right? If, if you have a weakness and a strength and I think the Canucks weakness is defensive hockey and I think their strength <laughs> right. is scoring Hockey's goals hobby, yeah. so do you lean into your strength or do you try and shore up your weakness it's the same question you get asked sometimes at the trade deadline where people will be like this team needs a defenseman or this team sure. needs a, needs a defensive center or, or, or something or or if the team can't score this team needs a scoring winger and then sometimes I wonder Actually, why don't they just get another player that uh, shores up their or or even helps their strengths even more and just have that as your identity and go for it? Yeah, we're a high scoring team. We'll see how it goes. I mean, if they win every game 9
1: 8, but they make the playoffs, it would still be a lot of fun, right?
2: It's, it it would, I mean,
3: if there's one coach, if there's one coach that would lean into it, they're probably not going to do anything in the playoffs because you got to defend in the playoffs. If there was
2: one coach that, like, Philosophically, would lean into it. I think it might be Boudreaux because he's a fan of like offensive open hockey. The problem is, one, he's coaching for his job and his life, and you're leaving a lot of this oh, up to. Well, we're gonna win a wild one, or we're gonna, you know, maybe our guy will like morph into the Grant Fuhr style goalie where he doesn't necessarily give us a lot of saves, but he gives us one at the proper time. That's hard for a coach because they're all inherently control freaks. That's what they do, right? I mean, not a lot of coaches coach offense. They coach defense. That's what they're designed to do. And I do wonder now, though. I
3: I don't think that's what Bruce is designed to do.
2: No, but well, you know what it is. He's been tasked to do it by management. He's been tasked to do it for sure. They want him to play with more structure. They want him to play more defensively sound hockey. I mean, he talked about it in the audio that we played earlier. We can We don't, We need to go out and try and defend and only give up one goal because those are the games that you're more often going to win, mm-hmm. as opposed to when you give up six.
3: That's good analysis. Or four.
2: Or five. Or five. I mean, think about four of the, three of the previous four home games. The goals against have been five, five, six. That's a lot of goals against.
3: All right, we've had fun. For two hours on the Halford and Bruff show after a very wild, entertaining, fun night yes. at Rogers Arena. But that all ends now. Thomas Drantz will join us next on the Halford and Bruff <laughs> show on Sportsnet 650.
2: Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.